today on a virtual view, we are going to be talking with Kathy Walker. Hello there. And McCafferty. Hello. And Colette Rhodes. Hello. Hi. About their Connecting Kids to Coverage program that is part of the Indiana Rural Health Association. So this program is all about Indiana Medicaid and pregnancy. First, could one of you talk a little bit about what the Medicaid program is like in Indiana? Well, the Medicaid program in Indiana is multifaceted. There's Medicaid, which covers anyone from 19 to 64. And then there's Hoosier HealthWise, which includes the Children's Health Insurance Program and pregnant women, kind of in a nutshell. And if I might just kind of jump in on that as well. So Medicaid traditionally was set up to be a joint funded program by the state and the federal government. And it traditionally only reached blind, aged, disabled, low income, kind of what we associate Medicaid with. As Kathy mentioned, there are several programs within Medicaid. For instance, Healthy Indiana Plan is our state's expanded Medicaid. So that reaches out to those individuals that don't fit the blind, disabled category. So it expands those benefits to just the low-income population. And again, there are several programs within Medicaid itself. And that's where the eligibility categories come into as to which program you would fall into. So if we focus today on talking about Hoosier HealthWise, that's really focused on children up to the age of 19. And then the Healthy Indiana Plan is from age 19 up until when Medicare would take over. That's correct. Okay. So what kind of things qualify a person to be eligible for Medicaid in the state of Indiana? So I guess one of the things when you asked about what makes somebody eligible, so we have some eligibility factors that we kind of look at, and that is that they need to be an Indiana resident. Their age is a factor. Income, including earned income and unearned income. Citizenship or immigration status. Their current insurance coverage, if they have it, as well as information regarding pregnancy. So could someone be eligible for Medicaid just because they're pregnant, even if they had higher income or other insurance? No, there is still an income guideline for pregnant women. But when you are looking at pregnant women, if it's just her in the household, she would be considered a household of two because she is pregnant. So her unborn child is taken into consideration for that income level. Now, Kathy, you said that the woman would have to be an Indiana resident. What if they're not actually even a citizen? There's different aspects to that. There are certain criteria and certain documents that will satisfy that requirement, but it can get pretty involved. So like permanent residency card or something, I can't remember what it's called exactly. But yeah, there's some documentation and criteria that people can get while they're working on their citizenship. Yeah, I can tap in a little bit too. So immigration status is tricky. Like Kathy mentioned, there are certain immigration qualifications that do allow for partial coverage, such as emergency services only, Medicaid, or some immigration statuses that do qualify for full benefits. 
So this is really an advantage of having a navigator work with individuals such as our team with Connecting Kids to Coverage because we are familiar and we're licensed to understand those eligibility requirements. What we don't want is people just assume that because they don't have lawful permanent residency or because they are not a naturalized citizen that they won't qualify. We want to talk to those in that situation and get a better understanding of their status. And then we'll know more what programs they might be eligible for. And in some unfortunate situations, they may not qualify for state health insurance. Then we would look at marketplace and we can also help them by pointing them to a federally qualified health care center that offers sliding fee scales for those who don't qualify for state or marketplace insurance. So we do have options. So we just really appreciate the opportunity to talk to anyone that might have those immigration status questions. So Anne, you use the term state health insurance. So when you use that, are you talking about Medicaid in particular? Yes. So state health insurance through Medicaid, it is a joint partnership with the state and federal. However, Marketplace is offered more federally under the Affordable Care Act. So the eligibility determination is not run through the Division of Resources like it is for Medicaid programs. So it's just a little different eligibility screening process and there's different standards for qualification. So we are not only licensed Indiana navigators for health coverage, we are also certified application counselors for Marketplace as well. So we can look at both of those programs. Great. Yeah. And you'd mentioned the word navigators before. Some of our listeners might not understand what that means. So all three of you are navigators. And could you explain what that means? So we're actually licensed by the Indiana Department of Insurance. We study, take a test, and recertify every year. We go through continuing ed to keep that licensing. We are not agents or brokers. The difference being that we don't work for a particular company as an agent or a broker to bring in people to different companies. We don't get paid commission. We are strictly a position of service where we meet with consumers to help assess their needs and what programs would work best for them. So, you know, I think it's a a best kept secret almost that we're out there because we do offer that impartial guidance and can direct families for free as to what might work best for them. That's great. So I was thinking about that. So we have here in Indiana, under the umbrella of the Indiana Rural Health Association, this program that we're talking about, Connecting Kids to Coverage, and it is funded through CMS. So is there a similar program in every other state? I believe there's 39 grantees like ourselves across the country. So it's not in every state. Yeah, I think that is right, Kathy. I think it's 39. So we're actually... um, cooperative agreement with CMS, a little different than a grant. Um, It's an actual agreement that we have with CMS to carry out the goal to drive down the uninsured percentage of children. And it is on that national level. As Kathy mentioned, there's 39 recipients of that cooperative agreement. So 
When a woman comes to give birth and doesn't have insurance herself of any shape or kind, does the newborn automatically get enrolled in Medicaid? If the mom is not on Medicaid already, then no, the baby would have to apply. But at birth, if the mom is qualified for Medicaid, she just never signed up throughout her pregnancy, she can get what is called presumptive eligibility that will help cover her labor and delivery and hospital services. And then she would just have to go back and complete an actual Medicaid application. And at that same time, the baby can apply for Medicaid as well. So then how long would Medicaid cover both the mom and the baby after birth? It covers the mom 60 days postpartum. And then she goes back into the HIP program. And then it covers the baby for the first year of birth until the redetermination period. Is that redetermination period an annual thing, like a calendar year thing, or is it a, a monthly thing? It's an annual year. Every year they just ask if any income has changed, any members of the household have changed, have you moved, or similar items to that. So is it based on the January to December calendar, or is it like if she gave birth in July, then every July? Yeah, then it would be every July. It's one year from when, I'm not sure exactly from when you apply or when you're approved. Yeah, and that's a a great point, Becky, that you make, because in a perfect world, an uninsured mother delivers in the hospital, and an insurance specialist would come around and visit the room. We all know the world's not perfect right now, so that's harder just because of staffing issues, and maybe mom delivers on the weekend, and that person's not available. So when we meet with our clients or consumers, we always encourage them to either report through us so that we can do it on their behalf or they directly report the end of their pregnancy or the birth of their baby to the Division of Family Resources. And that way they can ensure that that baby has immediate coverage. There is a grace period for the baby after the birth that goes up to 60 days to 90 days, I believe. I'd have to check that for sure, but you don't want to get outside of that grace period and then have to start all over again with the reapplication. And then, as you mentioned, annually for children in Hoosier HealthWise, which is the program for birth up to 19. So your redetermination is annually on the anniversary of your enrollment date. Thanks for clarifying that. So you said you're talking about in a perfect world, someone from the Division of Family Resources would come in and enroll the baby. In that perfect world, is there an employee at the hospital that calls the resources? Usually hospitals have financial counselors or even maybe their own navigators in the hospital who are aware of patients who come in who aren't insured and they will try to reach out to them. A lot of it's funding right now. The funding's just been cut for those types of workers, be it either through the state itself, like through the Division of Family Resources, or through an agency like ours. They just simply don't have the manpower. So this is where we really want to get our message out that we're here and we're available on a statewide level. We can assist anybody in the state that might face these issues. And, you know, we try to reach partners such as Nurse Family Partnership. It can get complicated. It gets complicated for me and I'm licensed and trained to do this. And 
I know the hurdles that are out there. So we're just happy we, through Indiana Rural Health Association and this cooperative grant by CMS, have the opportunity to reach out to those expecting Hoosier women to help navigate them through this process. Thanks, Anne. You know, something else I was thinking about. So if the mom has a baby and is a resident of the state of Indiana and all of that meets the Hoosier HealthWise criteria, what happens when she goes back to work postpartum as far as her income levels? What does that mean for her health care and then for the health care of the baby? When they have a change in income or they move or the baby's born, you know, to someone that's already got Medicaid, they're supposed to notify the Family Social Services Administration of any kinds of changes along those lines. And generally, when they notify them of those changes, then they'll do income verification again. So they'll ask for income information and then likely reevaluate. And it may be determined that they're over income and then, you know, might have to seek other coverage like marketplace, for example. So, yeah, anytime there's any kind of change in their status, they kind of reevaluate in, in a normal situation. I think with the public health emergency, some of that's not happening. It's my understanding anyway. Yeah, and that's a really typical scenario that we see because a lot of moms do return to work after their maternity leave or they, they seek new employment. So that lifestyle change, like Kathy mentioned, does qualify for a special enrollment into the marketplace to purchase a plan. There's a lot of talk about marketplace right now because today is the last day of open enrollment. So we certainly would hate to have a mom come to us tomorrow and say, Sorry, there's nothing we can do. So reporting those changes within that 60-day window will allow for that special enrollment period to look at plans. And if you're terminated from state health insurance or Medicaid or Health Indiana plan because you're over income and you have that letter of denial or termination, that too will allow you a special enrollment into marketplace. Great. And so if someone is look, listening to this and wanting to know more about your program or marketplace, do you have resources available for them? Absolutely. Our website has a, a wealth of information there, number of resources. There's a place where consumers or people working with the consumer could schedule an appointment with one of us. And we follow up on that within usually 48 hours, if not sooner. And when we do work with people, in order for us to advocate on their behalf with the Family Social Services Administration, we need to become their authorized representative. So we have a form that we have them sign that in essence gives us permission by them to act on their behalf. And also uh, there's another form that we also ask clients to sign and that's an authorization for release case status information. So the client's giving us permission to obtain information about their case so we can continue to navigate and, and advocate for them and make their application an official enrollment. And how long is it that you guys have had this cooperative agreement with CMS for this work? We're in our second year. Yeah, about a year and a half. How long does the current cooperative agreement last? It's a three-year agreement, Becky, and it started in July of 2019 and will expire in 2022. 
So where are the fathers in all of this? Well, the fathers still might be around. You know, the mom and the dad might just not be married. But I mean, they, I mean, they, they could be around still and they could be on Medicaid themselves. Household composition is a big feature of Medicaid eligibility. So that's a good point you bring up. And that is something that we do need to kind of delve into. We speak about income parameters. The, the size of your household allows a change, so to speak, in that income. Obviously, if you're a household of four, you have a little bit higher bracket. So we do ask those kind of questions. Who do you live with? And it's not always mom, dad, and baby. Now we see maybe mom and her mom and grandma and and Aunt Rosie or whoever. So we do look at that. And again, this is where the background of the navigators come into play because we're used to those different situations or typical situations, I guess they may be now, and know how to calculate those household incomes. And I mean, it could also be a secondary insurance for the mothers, you know, who do have employer insurance, but are looking to help cover those extra causes that their primary insurance does not cover, you know, because they do, they do have income, but it's not the greatest. So they're just kind of looking for that extra help that they qualify for. When you have multi-generational families, and, and even if it's if not a multi-generational family, I guess, I'm curious about what language they speak. If you've run into situations where you have trouble conversing in English. Colette, that's your baby. Yeah. No, and the community where I live in, in the county that I serve, we do have a big Hispanic and Haitian population. So it is a little bit difficult to communicate with them, but we do have a language line service to where we are able to call the language line over the phone and they are able to call our clients for us to help that communication. It is still difficult just because of the communication, the language barrier. Not everything translates perfectly, but it does definitely help to, you know, let them know what we can do and what we can help them with. So Haitian and Spanish are the languages that you seek requests for the most? Down here in the southern part of our state, that is what I typically see. I know in the more urban areas, there's definitely a lot more languages. You know, the culture, there's a lot more culture. So I can't speak for Anne or Kathy of what they see, but down here in the southern part of the state, that's mostly what I see. We've become quite the melting pot. So like Colette said, we do see a variety of populations and the language line service is really a big advantage because again, like I mentioned earlier, we really want to encourage those populations to seek our service as well. I think a lot of people, when they hear the word Medicaid, they associate it with maybe a certain demographic or a certain income level or a certain part of the state. And there are programs within the programs and like children's health insurance program is an expansion of medicaid it is a federally run program that has very high income guidelines so it's easier for children to be approved even if mom and dad might not qualify so i think a lot of times what we see is mom and dad think i can't get quote unquote medicaid so my children won't be able to either 
that is just kind of an understanding of the programs within the Medicaid blanket, if that makes sense. And this is why we do continue our education and we do become certified and licensed because it's a lot of material. And we don't expect everybody to know that material. And this is where our service puts that client at advantage. And hopefully we can help empower them as well with their own benefits so they understand it a little bit better and we can kind of put it in easier terms. Yeah, I wanted to ask, you're talking about different demographics and populations. If you've worked with any homeless people. Yeah, so I think Tina, our director of our grant, likes to call me a seasoned navigator. I think that's um, her way of saying I'm the old one. (laughs) More experienced. Most qualified. Most qualified, more experienced. Absolutely. Um, I, I have worked as a navigator really since the position was created under the Affordable Care Act. So I've had opportunities to see several different walks of life. And homeless is an area where I've helped before and an area where we certainly need to reach out to. It's not always easy for somebody to come in and ask for help and for us to meet them on that level where they are and, and let them know they're cared for. And there are ways we can help. That's really important. So we've encountered that situation and we do know what to do. We know they don't have a mailing address, for instance. So as their authorized representative or case manager, I will get that mail on their behalf and be able to share that information with them. And I've taken insurance cards to people before because they don't have a mailbox. But we're, we're definitely here and available to help those in that situation. So as we start to close, I wanted to ask if there's any documents that you guys have that can help people understand these programs better. Yeah, um, take that one. We have on our website a lot of information about who we are. We have some webinars and useful links. On the useful links page, there's an FAQ document about Medicaid and pregnancy and a, a number of other information pertaining to health coverage, Medicaid for adults and children, and just a number of other resources there. So I would definitely encourage people to take a look at indianaruralhealth.org slash connecting kids to coverage Indiana and, and look for those useful links. Thank you. We'll make sure to include that in our show notes. Wonderful. Is the website the best way to contact one of you? That's our preferred way, just because it's so automated, but they can also call or email, and that's noted on our website as well. And we are a team of five, Becky. However, we we do, as mentioned before, cover the entire state. So we've kind of broken up our team into regions across the state. And when you visit the website, you'll see those designated regions and your specific navigator. But one of the reasons we do encourage visiting the website and utilizing that scheduling button is because there's a specific question. What county do you live in? And then based on the information that comes in, it's distributed appropriately to the correct navigator. So we'll do that work for you. So the website is a wonderful way to get a hold of us. And like Kathy said, we usually reach out to you in 48 hours at least or at the most. So it is a great way to get in contact with us and to learn a little bit more. We've thrown out a lot today, I know, and we get a little comfortable in the professions we work in. I think all of us are guilty of this and we use acronyms and 
and lingo that <laughs> might not be so familiar to other people. So uh, yes, questions about healthy Indiana plan for adults, who's your health wise for children, traditional Medicaid, all those questions, you can contact us through the website. And what was that URL again? IndianaRuralHealth.org forward slash capital C, capital K, capital C dash I-N, both in caps. I want to thank you for listening to A Virtual View. I've been your host, Becky Sanders. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. If you would like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Do you have a topic you'd like us to discuss? If so, leave us a review with your idea or contact us at info at umtrc.org. Also, I'd like to give a special thanks to Josh Rodriguez and Francis Fitzgerald for scoring our podcast. And I'd be remiss if I didn't thank our editor, Caroline Yoder, who's been the brains behind making this idea of mine come to fruition. I couldn't have done it without her. Finally, a special thanks to the Health Resources and Service Administration, also known as HRSA. Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center program, which is under the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy and the Office for Advancement of Telehealth. The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of Becky Sanders as the program director of the UMTRC and should not be construed as the official policy or position of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by, HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thanks for listening and have a great day.